Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Andrew Russell. Andrew Russell is Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at SUNY Polytechnic Institute in Utica and Albany, New York. He's a historian of technology who has published a number of books and articles on the history of the internet, the history of standards development in the US and Europe, and tensions and synergies between innovation and maintenance. He earned his PhD from the program in the history of science, medicine, and technology at the Johns Hopkins University. Andy Russell, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure to, to be on the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Andy, you've described yourself as a historian who's interested in maintenance from a generalist's perspective. I think a lot of folks who work in reliability and maintenance, uh, including our listeners, may not realize that there are other people in other disciplines who are dealing with the same problems that they are, including people who work in healthcare and education. Can you give us some examples? Sure. So uh, the history of maintenance is, is something that my, um, my friend and co-author Lee Vinsel and I have been looking into over the past couple of years. And, and the history of maintenance itself is, is pretty interesting. And if um, maintenance and reliability professionals are, are anything like professionals in other fields that we've studied, um, they're, they're not too aware of their own past. So uh, there, there's some really interesting tidbits there uh, that we're writing about in, in a book we're just finishing that I think people will be really interested to hear um, from the 19th century, you know, up through the 20th century to, to where we are today in terms of data-driven um, uh, predictive approaches to maintenance. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that we got out of that look at history is that there's a maintenance and reliability cut across virtually every profession um, that, that we can imagine. Hmm. And I'm guessing a lot of your listeners know that already because if they work in facilities management or if they work with CMMS um, software, the, you know, the clients and users are anywhere from hospitals and education, like you said, to um, you know, public works, to, to industries of all kinds, you name it. Sure, sure. Um, so in my industry, education, as you said, I'm, I'm at SUNY Polytechnic Institute in, uh, here in upstate New York. Um, we have a, a facilities team, uh, obviously, and so I'm, I'm guessing you know there, there's a lot in common uh, that they face with, with a lot of the things that you talk about on this podcast, um, whether it's in terms of um, uh, you know, ordering and um, in inventory to uh, asset management and financial planning, you know, short term, medium term, long term. Right. Uh, but what's really what Lee and I are trying to point out in the work that we're doing is that um, maintenance uh, can be can be defined somewhat broader than uh, maintenance and reliability professionals often define it. Um, so we think of maintenance simply as um, activity to, to keep things in good working order. Mm -hmm. And the thing that could be kept in good working order could be anything. It doesn't need to be a machine. It doesn't need to be a computer. It can be a family. It can be um, an educational experience like what we offer here on campus. Um, it could be um, the healthcare system. And so if you accept that, then um, then the next logical step is who are the people that keep those enterprises in good working order? 
Right. And so in education, it's the faculty, um, it's the administration, it's uh, the staff um, in the college offices, in the financial aid office. Um, and so the definition of, of who is a maintainer um, and who is responsible for the reliability of the institution really expands when you take that view. That's interesting. Um, can you give us some examples from healthcare? I know that's getting a lot of attention these days. Oh, absolutely. So, um, you, you know, we love to hate on on the people who send us the bills and and who do all that healthcare administration um, behind the scenes. But and I'm uh, I'm sure that there could be more efficiencies and, and probably more equity there. Um, but those are the people who who keep the system running. So I would say certainly uh, those kinds of folks. Right. And, um, you know, the public perception, if you watch the TV shows or the movies about uh, medicine and healthcare, is often focused on acute care. Um, ER doctors, you know, like the TV shows ER or Grey's Anatomy or, um, or these kind of heroic um, specialized surgeons who come in and cure the rare disease or, or save the right. day. Um, but when I think about maintenance and care work and healthcare, I, I really think about nurses. Um, and, uh, and the nursing profession is a really interesting profession. Um, it's, it's obviously on the front lines with the patients. Um, there's a lot of, um, standards that they have to follow. Um, and, and there's a lot of interesting dynamics within the profession, uh, which, mm-hmm. which is kind of struggling at the moment. It's at this inflection point demographically, um, half of the nurses working right now are over the age of 50. Right. Um, so there's a big, as the general population is aging and demand for nurses is also growing, um, that's the same time when the profession itself is, is needing to, uh, needing some renewal and trying to figure out how to replace the, the knowledge um, that experienced um, nursing staff bring every day to their interactions with patients. You know, Andy, you're, um, you're, you're, uh, this is kind of a, a good lead into another question I wanted to ask you, and it has to do with uh, how we, how we celebrate people who innovate versus how we celebrate people who are the, the maintainers, as you say. It seems that, uh, you know, it's, you're right, it's kind of hard to attract people into these sort of maintenance um, uh, uh, jobs. Uh you know, looking back at the history of science and technology, we certainly celebrate people who innovate, but we don't give a lot of notice, you know, to the people that focus on maintenance. Um, do how how can we uh, how can we improve that situation? How can we get more people interested in maintenance as opposed to just innovation? Well, I th- it's a it's a really good question, and it's actually a really tough question. Um, it, in a lot of ways, we're just attracted. Uh, to stories about heroes. And it's a lot easier to write a story uh, where one or two um, people carry the narrative as opposed to this Tolstoy-esque story where there's, you know, hundreds of people flitting in and out and you're not really sure who's important or why and who's not. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, the approach that my field has taken in the history of science and technology is to, um, is to think about technology in terms of systems, in terms of complex systems. And so uh, once you take that step, you're a lot of the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you two examples. Um, one is um, in telegraphy. So, um, you know, one way you could tell the story of telegraphy is, uh, you know, Morse and invention. 
um, and and the transformation of the world through um, through that invention. And it's about robber barons like Western Union and so on and so forth. But another way to tell the story is to think about, okay, what does it actually take uh, in the 19th century or into the 20th century for one user to send a telegram to another? Mm. And one of my friends, a historian named Greg Downey, um, took up this question. And the title of his book summarized his answer. His book was titled Telegraph Messenger Boys. Huh. And it was this fascinating account of these uh, boys who rode around on bicycles. Um, they, they went from the station where uh, the, the telegrams were received and delivered them by hand to the people who were the intended recipients. And without those uh, boys, and they wore uniforms and they had all sorts of kind of fun cultural rituals, mm-hmm. without those boys, the whole thing wouldn't have worked. Sure. And so um, that holistic, systematic approach, I think, I think pays off really well there. Um, w- you know, the second example that, that is oftenly, uh, often cited has to do with um, work in the home. Mm. And um, there's a historian um, from University of Pennsylvania named Ruth Schwartz Cowan who wrote um, uh, this legendary book, More Work for Mother. Mm. And it's about the automation of homework in the 20th century, um, the introduction of uh, electrical devices like uh, washing machines and laundry machines and uh, dishwashers and so on. And her thesis is that uh, these things actually created more work for mother uh, because it increased in part expectations about how efficient um, housework could be. Interesting. So, um, so the, you know, the upshot there is that what the impact of those devices isn't really just the invention, it's how they were used and what were the consequences for um, the users um, and how did it change their lives. So it's, it's really, you know, the idea is to really take the history of technology or take the history of science and bring it, um, tell the story in a way that people can see clearly where they fit into it. Um, right. It's not just about hero worship. It's about everyday uses. So if, if we look at the history of, of technology, it's not just about these major milestones, these major inventions, these major you know, breakthroughs. Um, it's, it's also about doing, be, doing a better job of maintaining what we have. Is, 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 that, is that true? Do we see examples of that? Yeah, absolutely right. It's everywhere. So um, you think about railroads and – or we could even take it to um, – well, well, just to stick with railroads for a second, um, reliability – um, the history of reliability in the U.S. really has a lot to do with the railroads at its origins. Uh, Interesting, it, because you know you can just you can just kind of play it out for yourself. So, it, uh, early undeveloped technology in the 19th century, um, accidents were costly and spectacular. Um, they created a lot of bad press, uh, and so to have a, a railroad be profitable, uh, it really needed to be reliable and really have a strong. Um, strong operational base. So that's 19th century. But, but even thinking about some stuff going on today, um, you know, think about Elon Musk and his plan to, to build tunnels underground, you know, American cities for, for traffic, right. for, his, for his fancy cars. Um, you know, from day one, that's going to need maintenance. Those tunnels, if you've ever been in a tunnel, you know, it's really important for it to be well-maintained and Absolutely. to be reliable. And so, um, you know, any enterprise, no matter how futuristic it seems, um, needs to have an underpinning of, of reliability and, and robust operations. 
and it needs to be maintained. Otherwise, it'll wither and um, and and crash. And and it, a lot of the times, it takes people with it. And you know, that's not a good thing. No, obviously, you know, Andy. It occurs to me that uh, when when a new invention comes out that's based, you know, on I- innovation, uh, you know, some early adopters might jump in, but for something to really reach the mass market, it has to be reliable and stable and easy to maintain. Otherwise, it'll never reach that mass market. Yeah, that's right. And um, it, you know, it, what's interesting is is the change over time and how um, in home uses in, in maintainability. So you know, you think about cars and um, and how you maintain cars and with with computerization and um, you know newer cars, which which are more efficient sometimes, most of the time, um, it's a lot harder to maintain them at home. So um, you know, it's an interesting thread to follow. Um, who does the maintenance work? And how does that shift from uh, from the home to a repair shop? Um, and sometimes even within repair shops, um, you know, places need to get computer systems or retrain their technicians to be able to maintain some of the newer technologies. Um, Interesting. So it's a moving target. You know, when we talk about maintenance, people sometimes say, oh, you guys are reactionary. You just want to keep everything the same. <laughs> but, but it's not true. I mean, like you said, we, we want things to work well. Um, and, and we worry that, uh, too much emphasis on innovation and and new stuff, uh, particularly when it doesn't work or when it doesn't serve the interests of, of ordinary people, um, we worry about the impact of that, um, on society, but also financially and and in terms of, uh, uh, you know, health and well-being, like we were saying. Again, it seems like it really slow. It would slow the adoption of these new, uh, technologies. I'm thinking of self-driving cars, for example. Do you have any su- suggestions on how we might be able to change this imbalance? How can we uh, how can we get people to emphasize more maintenance as opposed to? I mean, we don't want to give up innovation, obviously. No, it, that's right. Yeah, and so I think what's what's most important is uh, finding a better balance, um, and and I mean this culturally, but I also mean it in terms of technology. So I think we've covered some of the cultural parts. You know that that finding a better balance uh, means stop, you know, or at least dial back this obsession with, uh, inventors and innovators and recognize the facts that, um, that, uh, you know, operations and maintenance are really the difference between failure and success when it comes to, um, when it comes to technology. Um, but, but I think, you know, I'll give you an example actually. Um, and, and I'll go back to nursing. Um, it's really the case that, um, it's really like a, a health, thing you know are we going to mm. persist as a society or or are we not and to bring that down to the in- individual level are we going to listen to what <laughs> you know what we're told and the instructions we get uh, or not and so you know it's i think it's focusing on the everyday experience of people um that really is, is for us kind of shifting the balance and, and trying to get people refocused a little bit it's, it's right. not throwing away innovation so it's not saying that um, we don't think there should be, you know, new drugs or new therapies developed uh, for people who are sick. You know, quite the contrary. Of course. Um, but instead, it's recognizing that that's only one piece of the puzzle. That's only the 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 quote unquote bleeding edge. And then after the innovation is really where the most important stuff happens. So it's it's true from a scholarly perspective, but I think it's it's also true from a societal perspective. 
Andy, again, to kind of build on that, you're you're the co-director for a conference coming up in October in Washington called Maintainers 3. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that conference and the program. You bet. So um, the title says it all. It's the third, um, third edition of the conference. The first two were in 2016 and 2017. Um, those were mostly scholarly conferences, um, people from, you know, the humanities, social sciences, engineering, getting together to talk about their research in these areas. Um, what's different about Maintainers 3 is that we're holding it in Washington, D.C., and uh, our goal is to have um, half practitioners and half scholars. So our goal is to really have research meet um, practice or research meet policy and find out a way to, to deepen those connections so we don't have people um, siloed up. Um, so uh, the way that the program falls out, we've got a few keynote speakers. Um, we've got a team of um, artists who are kicking things off who are talking about um, the ethic of care um, in maintenance and embodied experience. Um, we've got uh, Chuck Marone, who leads the um, organization called Strong Towns, to talk about... Um, uh, his campaign to make American cities stronger, so it's maintenance at the municipal level. Um, and, and we have a couple of other uh, keynotes. Uh, Deb Chatra and, and Mel Gregg are um, two scholars, um, one engineer and one social scientist at Intel, um, and they're going to talk about their work on infrastructure and, um, and productivity. Um, so in addition to the keynotes, the conference is organized into four tracks. Um, there's one track on software maintenance, um, and if you think about the worlds of open source or even, you know, proprietary software, um, the thing that makes software work is maintenance. So absolutely, we're really excited about, about that track. Um, there's a track for, for, uh, information maintenance, and these are, um, populated by people who work in libraries, digital archives, um, those sorts of things. And the questions there, um, again, there's a, there's a heavy digital sense, but it's about, um, the preservation of records um, and how to provide access to, to um, the right communities at the right time. Um, the third track is a transportation track, and that's where a lot of the discussions around infrastructure happen to go. Um, mm -hmm. So again, issues of standards, accessibility, equity, cost, um, all these things come into the frame when we talk about transportation. Um, we've got um, you know a variety of panels there, really excited. Then the fourth track is a general track, the kind of grab bag uh, track. In uh, there, we've got uh, some panels on architecture, um, some panels, a panel on the right to repair movement, um, and a, a miscellaneous set of, of papers um, uh, that are all across the board um, that, that really demonstrate um, the breadth and variety of interest in the subject, um, including a couple panels. Uh, we've got a few people from uh, industry, maintenance and reliability, um, professionals. So, um, that'll be pretty interesting to see. It sounds like you've gotten a great response, uh, a wide variety of papers. Yeah, it's over a hundred papers. Um, I think we just passed the 200 mark in terms of, um, in terms of registrations. And, uh, you know, th that's really what makes this topic so fascinating for us is, is that it just touches every aspect of human life. So, um, you know, it's, it's totally in parallel with, with what I've learned about, uh, the maintenance and reliability industry. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, it just takes a little bit of work to bring that out and to, and to demonstrate to people um, how important it is.
Uh, and also to, to give folks a chance to actually learn from each other. Uh, people working maintenance and reliability may think they're all, all, all alone, but there's really a, a lot of people out there that are facing similar problems. That's right. Yeah. Um, those problems, I think, uh, are well known, but uh, they include, you know, a lack of status, um, oftentimes a lack of pay. Um, that that is commensurate with the with the value sure. that that they provide. Um, there's uh, maintainers love their work. Um, they're very passionate about it. Um, but there's problems in uh, almost all sectors about burnout. Um, sure. Whether it's software, whether it's nursing, um, whether it's uh, facility staff working long hours, and so. Um, Part of what we've developed um, through funding from the Sloan Foundation with our group, the maintainers, um, is, uh, is something that we call a maintenance community framework. And, and what this does is it, uh, it's a facilitation tool um, to help uh, cultivate communities in particular areas. So we have a pilot community in uh, information maintenance. So it's a vehicle for um, archivists and librarians and digital preservationists to get together to talk about um, their maintenance work. Um, what we plan to do is to spin up communities in other areas, uh, whether it's software or architecture or healthcare or K through 12. And uh, the framework then will allow um, those professionals to talk across sectors and to help them realize um, the shared challenges that they face and some of the shared um, remedies or ideas that they've got. Um, and, and our suspicion in and you know, I've I've learned this through anecdote, um, is that sometimes you know remedies or or solutions from one sector will really transfer to another sector. Um, it's just that people need the the opportunity to talk together. How about that? Yeah, Andy, this has been great. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. And um, and I want to say thanks to the people listening. Uh, you know, what you do is is just fundamentally important for keeping our world going. And um, and so you don't get thanked enough for it. But I want to say thank you. <laughs> Great. That, that was Andrew Russell, who is the Dean of College and Arts and Sciences at SUNY Polytechnic Institute. And he's also the co-director of the Maintainers 3 Conference. For more information about the conference, please visit HTTP. Uh, slash slash the maintainers that's one word t-h-e-m-a-i-n-t-a-i-n-e-r-s uh, dot org slash m-i-i-i we'll post that to the uh, show notes for this uh, podcast this is tim rogers thanks very much for joining us